The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Welcome back to the program Afternoons with Mike, heard here daily, Monday through Friday on the Shepherd Radio Network. I have on the line with me visit number three from Bernadette Broyles, an attorney with an organization that deals with parental rights. And that is a, boy, if there's ever a, a hot button topic, that is one of them. Bernadette has been here before speaking on the situation in Leon County. And today, Bernadette Broyles is here to talk about another concerning issue that's being brought up by the Biden administration. Welcome back, Bernadette. Well, thank you for having me back, Mike. It's always good to talk with you. It's great to have people who not only share what I believe would be a common conviction based on the Bible and the principles and the values, but we're living in a day where those values are, in many cases, trying to be overcome. Give us an update, if you will, on the Leon County situation uh, with the parent, January Little John, that we've talked about before. Sure, and that's the Little Johns. It's the, both the husband and the wife um, who against the Leon County School District. So that case is in federal courts where things move very, very slowly. Um, and we're we're awaiting a ruling from the judge on the school district's motion to dismiss our complaint. We have amended our complaint to put some additional information that we discovered. Um, and, uh, and so the, the school district had moved to dismiss the case, which is what they always, always, always do. And we have filed our responsive brief. We're waiting on the court to rule on that. We don't believe that the, the judge is going to grant their motion to dismiss. We believe that the law is on our side. Of course, if that happens, then we would take it up to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. Um, and so that's where we're just a holding pattern waiting for that outcome. What happens in the in-between time with the Little Johns? Well, they move on with their lives and, and you know, working to repair the damaged relationship with their, with their child. Um, and and speaking out and January, as you know, is fearless. You know, educating the public mm-hmm. about the the mental health aspects of this phenomenon and and speaking out on behalf of parental rights. So that's really what they're focused on at this point. So, for the benefit of our listeners that may not be aware of what's going on in Leon County, why don't you give us a, a thumbnail explanation about what this is all about? Sure, I will. And and this will dovetail nicely in Mike into the larger conversation that you and I wanted to have on behalf of your audience about what the the Biden administration is attempting to do, because what happened there with the Little Johns in Leon County would become the nightmare of all parents around the country. Right. So what they discovered, what the, what the Little Johns discovered is that their, their daughter had uh, begun to experience uh, gender confusion and expressed that at the school. And the school uh, moved forward with meeting with her privately and developed a written a gender support plan, all without the parents knowing about this, yeah. without their being invited, being involved. They had you know, several adults there meeting with, with their daughter, asking her questions like, what pronouns do you want to use? How do you want to be known? What bathroom do you want to use? With which sex do you want to room with overnight on field trips? which obviously we could have placed this child in this young girl in, in harm's way. She's, you know, looming alone with a biological male. And, uh, and then how do you, this is perhaps the worst. How do you want to be um, spoken to or how do you want to be called when your parents are around? And how do you want to be called when they're not around? So they conspired with this minor child to de- to deceive her own parents. This is unforgivable. It is absolutely um, so we- shocking to hear this. I mean, can you imagine what our grandparents would would say or do if they were to be alive? And, and you know, our the people that have gone before us in this nation. This is so un-American. It's it's really insulting, isn't it? Well, it is, Mike. And in truth. It's not even parents of old, and it's not even parents of any particular political stripe 
or or even religious background that would that find this shocking, that find this unacceptable. We hear from parents on the left as well as on the right. We hear from parents who are who are atheistic or agnostic, Jewish as well as Christian who uniformly have this common thing, that they love their children, they know their children better than anybody else, and they refuse to allow any government official to come between them and their child and to act as if this government official knows better what's best for their child than they do. That is a common parental instinct. Mm -hmm. So I want to share with you what the Biden administration is trying to do to, to come in between. Absolutely. And to insert itself in between parents and child. So, you know, Mike, um, I'm sure that you have heard of Title IX. Yes. And many of your listeners have. That is a, the landmark uh, civil rights legislation that was enacted by Congress back in 1972 to forbid discrimination on the basis of sex. And the, and the, the, the stated purpose was to ensure that girls and women who, you know, back 50 years ago, experienced some, you know, real barriers in education, that they, they would remove any barriers that were, that would hold girls back uh, in education or, or women, all the way K through 12, college, graduate school, Title IX applies to all, every single level. And it remains very much in, in effect. So it affects over 70 million children and young people. It has far reaching implications. Well, what the Biden administration wants to do now is to circumvent Congress and by agency rulemaking to distort and expand Title IX to not just now no longer just be based upon to protect you know uh, individuals based on sex, but now to expand it to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what is it's going to mean? Several far-reaching things. Number one is that. Sex and gender identity, they're mutually exclusive. They can't operate the, this, uh, occupy the same space. They're like matter and antimatter mm-hmm. for those of us who were Trekkies when we were kids. Because gender identity consumes the definition of sex. It overrides biological reality with this subjective self-identification, self-pronouncement that, that overrides everything else. So what it'll do is, and and, and many, many laws throughout the federal government hearken back to Title IX. They reference back to Title IX for for the definition of sex, so, or for the protection uh, against sexual uh, uh, discrimination, sex-based discrimination. So this will have the effect of overriding sex as a taxonomic identification classification for human beings. Wow. All throughout the federal government, now, number ti- one. Now, Title IX was something that was enacted by Congress. It, this was something Correct. that was voted on in the legislature, and it would stand a reason, would it not, that before that Title IX document could be changed, before its uh, components could be altered, it would seem like that should also go through the same due process of lawmaking and decision and debate and so forth that happens on Capitol Hill every day, or at least it should be happening, but that's not what's happening right now, right? That's right. That's right. And in truth, the Biden administration's arrogance and overreach in attempting to do use this process is sowing the seeds of its own destruction. Because for those, for legal analysts who, who, are, who are intellectually honest, it is an obvious violation of the separation of powers. It is an obvious unconstitutional usurpation of power by the executive branch over the over the legis- legislative branch. And remember, everyone, the legislative branch, Congress, they represent us. We, the people, they are answerable to us through elections. That's right. So the Biden administration is wanting to bypass us and our elected representatives to impose far-reaching, devastating, culture-changing rules. On our, on our children, our most valuable, most vulnerable, uh, through using the, 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 the obscure and more difficult to comprehend room agency rulemaking process. And so many people, uh, you know, I, I think it's fair to even suggest that a lot of our listeners would not even be all that familiar with Title IX. 
like you said, this was something that was done back in the 70s. So it's been 50 years or so in uh, the, the, the life of that document being applied for things that originally, I mean, I hearken back, I, mean, I was around when we had the Billie Jean and uh, all uh, the, the tennis tournament and the, the battle of the sexes and all of these things were all part of that big movement that was intended to bring equality uh, between the sexes. Now what we're doing is trying to make all of that rather androgynous and kind of muddle up the, the water, so to speak, to where there's no really uh, way that anyone can tell, according to these people, when a baby is born, what its gender is. That's what's right. shocking to me. It is. And, 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 so, and so for your listeners, I, you know, I urge you, do not tune out and think, oh, this is just about, you know, just about girls or just about feminism. No, 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 no. This is much deeper than that. What this would affect, what it is effectively going to do is that it's going to require as a federal, federal mandate that all of our schools, K through 12 and throughout, adhere to gender identity ideology, that it embraces and implements as policy in our schools this notion, this false notion that, and, and troubling notion that children could be born in the wrong body. First of all, that is, that is fundamentally unscientific. That's why there are many, there are many agnostic and, and atheistic parents who are rejecting this because it is, it's unscientific. It's a metaphysical notion somehow that a child can be born in the wrong body. But that's what this ideology would teach our children, and that's what it would impose as policy in our schools. So what are the practical implications that should have each one of us absolutely on the edge, uh, standing up and, and marching forward to do something about it. The practical implications are this. Once the, 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 the regulations state in black and white that to, re, that to fail to treat a child in accordance with their stated gender identity harms a child. Mm. It presumes that, it, that we are harming a child if we uphold biological reality in our schools. So what does that mean? It means that, number one, when a child, a vulnerable minor child, asserts a fictitious or an assumed identity, they have to be immediately and unquestioningly affirmed and endorsed in that identity. And there's no place that there's any requirement for parental notification or parental consent. Let that sink in for just a minute. There are two things right off the bat that should be exploding in our minds. Yes, absolutely. Is that we're placing, we're using our public dollars, our public school system that has millions, tens of millions of children to create a school to clinic pipeline. Why? Because when you affirm a child, when you endorse a, a false identity of a child, it's called social transition. Socially transitioning a child, especially a child who's troubled or just a child who's been subject to the indoctrination of the school. They may be a perfectly healthy, normal child, but children are impressionable. They're impressionable. They believe the adult authority figures around them. So when they start believing the authority figures around them over the teachings of their, of their mother and their father, and they, they get sucked into this ideology it's a social transitioning, and the studies yeah. show that they that they become far less likely to reconnect with their biological sex. And a very high percentage of these kids, according to these studies, will move on then to medical transition, medical alterations and disfigurements of their body through hormones and through surgery. These treatments end most of the time in either sterility, infertility, lifelong sexual dysfunction because their sex organs never properly properly form or become distorted, loss of bone uh, tissue, increased cancer risk, increased cardiovascular risk, a whole variety of medical problems. And this is what then we would be putting our children on the path through through our public dollars and public schools. Wow. We'll be harming our children. Absolutely. And and being told all the while that our, as parents, our words against all this stuff 
is what's harming the child. That's what's just crazy. We've got a few minutes left. So what can be done? You said we have a small window. What's in that okay. window? All right. The law requires the, the Biden administration, the Department of Education, to put these proposed regulations out for public comment for 60 days. And that period ends on September 12th. We have between now and September 12th to go onto the Federal Register, Register site, although I'm going to give you a, a, a website that's going to make it easier because we've made it very easy on our website to be able to do what I'm about to tell you. And we need to submit our public comments. And they can't be cookie cutter comments. You can't go some, to some organization, you know, cut and paste yeah, their, their right. comment and put it. They have to be unique. They have to be thoughtful to show how this is going to violate my parental rights, how this is going to harm my child, how this is going to harm my family, how this is going to violate my daughter's rights to privacy, to safety, to fair competition in sports. And so um, because when we, we need to flood the DOE with comments, hundreds of thousands, I'm asking, I'm, I'm believing for a million comments so that number one, it slows them down because the law requires them to consider the, the comments they receive to, and to demonstrate that they have to document that they have considered them and they've responded to them. And if they fail to adequately respond to them, then they can be undone by a court because we, we will be able to show when the states sue and they're going to, or other organizations, perhaps like ours, sue the Biden administration, we want to be able to show that Congress never considered the impacts that, that the public comments brought to the attention of the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. Congress never considered the violation of parental rights or the physical harms that we'd be placing our children in the path of, et cetera, et cetera, when it, when it, when it passed Title IX in 1972. And because Congress never considered it and, it, and, and, and never passed this law for that purpose, it can be undone by the courts. Oh, this we, is what we, we must do. We have to do that. I'd love for you to come back in a couple of weeks if we can get an update on this, and we'll put this out regularly to our listeners between now and that deadline, because there is nothing that could be more important than our flooding this line and this this email site with our concerns as parents. We have much to lose here, friends, so the time is short. Vernadette Broyles, thank you so much for being with us one more time. My, my pleasure. May I give the website real quickly? Please before we do. Begin? Yes. Yes. This is the website that people can go to to get the access to the Federal Register site, as well as our resources to help you make your comments. It is childparentrights.org forward slash title dash nine title dash IX. Right. Roman numeral. Right. IX. That's it. All right. Thank you so very much, Vernadette. And we'll catch you uh, on the next time when we continue to talk about this most important topic. Sounds wonderful, Mike. Take care. God bless. And we'll be back in a moment here on Afternoons with Mike. Palm Beach Atlantic University, Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. Are you looking for the right franchise to open your own business? Green Flag Franchise has the experience and knowledge to help match your business plan with your goals and values. Is your business ready to become a franchise? Green Flag Franchise will help you explore the potential and benefits of franchising your existing company. For a free consultation and coaching, visit GreenFlagFranchise.com. That's GreenFlagFranchise.com. All right, back again now with me in the studio is my friend Kevin McCarthy, from On Purpose. He's the On Purpose guide. I'm sure a lot of people refer to you as that, right? Well, they do, although I always try to say to them, thank you, and uh, Jesus is the On Purpose person, not me. <laughs> That's so- right. <laughs> he is definitely that. Yes. And so- we, uh, we uh, will never want to get in the way of that distinction. Although, uh, Mike... I was born on Christmas Day. I, you know, I heard that just right? earlier today. And I was uh, educated uh, in Bethlehem. I slept under the star of Bethlehem 
And my father, God bless him, he called me Jesus Christ uh, when I got in trouble. <laughs> so oh, it's all yeah. true. So oh, I was okay. born on Christmas Day. You were. I went to Lehigh University in I'm, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I'm my, just praying there's no lightning bolts around right, right now. Okay. <laughs> Where my, my uh, fraternity house was located under the city of Bethlehem's star that the city of in Pennsylvania lights up. And when I did get in trouble, my father was prone yeah. to use the Lord's name yes, in vain. And, and not in a good way. <laughs> not in yeah, a good not way, Not in yes. a good way, yeah. I don't recommend it. How's that? Yeah. yeah, that's right. I agree with you, man. Okay, so we've got that established now. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is one of the on-purpose people. <laughs> but his website is onpurpose.me. And we talked the last time you were in, uh, you know, a couple of months back, about this this website, the tools that you have on your website. The, the idea is, is that you want to help people with their life to be on purpose and to stay on task. You could say it so many different ways, mm -hmm. but that is really the, the gist of this website and the tool, and you give them this free tool that helps them kind of lock in on where they are, maybe even some of the gifts that God has given them. Well, the tool is actually not free, but there is a modest charge. There's a modest $20 charge for it, but the tool helps them articulate their purpose. It then gives them a course that comes along with it, as well as then they can attend a group uh, coaching session. Mm -hmm. So for $20, it's a, it's a deal. Uh, but basically, it's the idea is to help somebody articulate their purpose and then they can create the strategies and structures to align their life informed by their purpose. So now they're on their purpose rather than kind of adrift in the world. So if somebody feels like they're adrift or they're really struggling with trying to make sense of the world, um, that, that the tool is designed for that. And it's a, a great site. And I know the last time you were here, we also talked about something that you have to be very careful with your tongue when you're speaking it. Uh, because it's an obvious intended play on a phrase that, uh, as I heard you describe it on, on Mark's show when we recorded that, um, the vulgar side of it we will not get into, but it's called tough shift. And that you got to make sure and say that F in there real clearly. Uh, that is basically helping people as well understand that there are things that happen in their lives that uh, impact them. And they can be tough. They can be tough situations to, to walk through. But the, the truth of it is, every person alive has those on a regular basis. Yeah, adversity is part of life. And the idea is that if adversity is going to take you down, then you're going to stay down. If you're going to look at adversity as this is part of the advantage I have in my life, I realize that's a mind shift or an attitude shift that some folks might need to make. The idea being that if adversity is a friend or an adversity is your advantage, uh, then you're able to rise above it and transcend it rather than having it really sort of wreck your life. Mm -hmm. I agree. And that's uh, something else that you have on there. And there's a website commensurate with that, right? Yeah, toughshift.com. Toughshift.com. And you can go there. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about today uh, going all the way back to the first day, so this would be January 2021, when the the president took office and promptly, I think it was about 45 executive orders that were given that day, one of which functionally and quite effectively killed America's energy independence. And we, are, uh, we saw on that day one uh, a change in, a shift, if you will, in the direction of our economy. And now, fast forward to August of 2022, we're dealing with close to 10% inflation. Some people would say, yeah, it's really more than that. Uh, but the official word I think we got was something like 9.1 or something, somewhere right in there. It's the last word we've gotten. Uh, that is a major shift for the American people. We're looking at record gas prices. It jumped up to almost $5 a gallon. Some areas went over $5 a gallon. It's drifted back down, thank goodness now. But, you know, I think we all realize why. And, and this is obviously a political pawn, uh, the, all of this stuff going on. 
and we we read that some people are really not all that sorry that they've allowed gas to go up that high. So it's causing this basic hit on every American family because there's obviously an agenda to drive these things toward electric cars. And so you have this, I I don't want to deal with electric cars right now. That's not the purpose for saying that, but inflation is. And the fact that you and I and every other American business owner uh, are basically having to deal with a life that is much harder now than it was 18 months, two years ago. Yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, inflation's real. We've, you and I are of the age where we've lived through it before. We've seen it. I remember sitting in gas lines, um, yeah. you know, on, for hours trying to get gas. When it was uh, 40 cents a gallon. When, it, when I remember driving down hills, this was in Pennsylvania, where I'd put the car in neutral so I wouldn't burn gas uh, to save gas. I mean, just doing things like that. But I think the real, the real issue, though, is what do you do about it? And I think this is a time where a lot of folks who may be thinking about, you know, I've always had this idea for a business or I've always had this way to, how do I make some extra money? Certainly, you can make a little bit of extra money. You know, there's a lot of people that are looking for jobs mm-hmm. yeah. to, to hire people. Yeah. There's a lot of job opportunities like that. There's a lot of people that went through the great resignation that I'm now hearing they're calling the great uh, regret. Uh, they've left good jobs and and have failed in their pursuit. But I, again, I'm really a believer in taking charge of one's own well-being. Um, with God, not mm-hmm. not without, but with God, and uh, saying, how do I get smart about maybe earning some additional income, uh, creating something that I'm very passionate about, that I love, that's on purpose for me. How mm-hmm. do I take my two word purpose, put it into put it to work in a meaningful way that also can be productive? And so this idea of entrepreneurship that's been around forever, um, I think it may actually see a, a resurgence. Um, where a lot of people will sort of say, okay, how do I do this? But it's it's, it's also a dangerous game. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many businesses that start off, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's high. It's huge. Yeah. The, the, the businesses that start off that fail within the first year. Yeah, it's, it's a big, what, what is the purpose for that failure? Are they just ill-prepared or? Now, most people don't have the savings in place or the big mistake that I see, let's forget about starting like a restaurant or something where there's a large capital investment needed. Let's just say it's somebody who's been got a corporate job and they now want to become a consultant or a coach or uh, you know some sort of counselor or whatever it may be, but it's more of a freelance independent position where they don't have to build a building. Uh, they just use their intellectual experience and their intellectual property, perhaps. Biggest challenge I find with most of those people is they're ill-prepared to start the day they start, meaning that they quit their business and then they say, oh, I need to create a website. Oh, I need to get business cards. Oh, I need a logo. Oh, I need this. Oh, I need that. And all of those things are things that could have been done during their day job. Mm -hmm. So before they quit their day job, they haven't done the, the groundwork that's necessary in order to really start the ground day one running. And day one running means you have customers, Mm -hmm. you have revenue coming in. So they start with zero revenue lined up, maybe for months on end, and they don't have the financial wherewithal to withstand it. And then they get into a panic, then they get into a downward spiral then they start getting desperate and they'll take anything that comes in the door. And a lot of times when you take anything that comes in the door, it may or may not be within your expertise. So now you're sort of moving off purpose or you don't have, or you have to learn so much in order to deliver to a standard that you would get repeat business that they don't have the time to learn. Therefore they don't real or they invest the time to learn, but now they're not earning. So widening the time of transition from working for, let's say, an established job where Mm -hmm. you may have, uh, you're an employee and you may have steady income coming in, widening the time that you are doing both is a wise thing to do. Well, it's it could be widening the time is one way to look at it, but it may also be accelerating the work that needs to be done in order to get free while you still have while you still have the job. Yeah. 
In yeah. other words, don't don't because that's the other thing that happens is they suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I have to pay for a cell phone, or I have to pay for health insurance, mm -hmm. I have to pay for. There's all these expenses that that are overhead related that they just didn't understand. Maybe they have to upgrade their internet. Uh, maybe they have to upgrade their cell phone plan because now, or they have to get a separate phone line. You know, all of these additional expenses that they just didn't anticipate suddenly come on board, and or now they have to. They have a computer that they don't know how to take care of. And what used to be, maybe it was a work computer that they were using at home. Yeah, personally. they had somebody take care of and it And IT them. took care of it. Mm -hmm. Now, what do I do? Do I, you know, do I go to Geek Squad? Do I find some local person? Uh, what do I do? And, and oh my gosh, it's like $100 an hour for that. And I don't have that kind of money. And, and so now their technology gets behind. And, and they just end up with all these unexpected, overwhelming expenses um, that had they basically got it set up, gotten some clients, the right clients, not just clients, but gotten some right clients for the services and products that they want to offer, have them lined up. Now they're in their strength mm -hmm. as opposed to playing maybe a side gig game uh, or a side interest that they can do it, but it's not their expertise. It just seems like, isn't it a shame that there's not like a help desk for entrepreneurs that they can go and say, hey, well, what do I need to do? What do I need to know in order to have a successful startup? Yeah, well, actually there is. You know, SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives, and there's a chapter right in Orlando and Central Florida, uh, is a great resource for a lot of these people that are there. And it's a free resource. Mm. Um, and there are also lots of us. I mean, I, I help people who are doing that sort of work. But you know, if you're really struggling and you don't have any money, that's a great place to go. You know, here in Orlando, we also have the National Entrepreneur Center um, right in Fashion Square Mall area. And so you can go and, and get help. I mean, uh, there's lots of these resources that are free that are available. But if people are either too proud to take advantage of them or, or they don't know about or them. they don't know about them, mm -hmm. as well as there's there's a ton of people that are out there to help. Uh, you with your, your business, but you've got to have the humility to ask. And in some cases, you know, there are people like me who get paid to do that sort of advice. You know, a, a lot of times somebody will call up and if they've maybe read one of my books and they say, can you just give me a little pointer or two here or there? You know, I try to be generous as much as I can without mm -hmm. going broke myself. Right. Well, you've got to do what you've got to do. And I think these people, you know, their heart is in the right place. So often they start, they sometimes overinvest. Yeah, but they put themselves really ad hoc. They really do. They right. they really spend money in their uh, retirement accounts. That's one of the biggest no-nos. And I'm of the age right now to where I look back and I think of the things that I could have and should have done differently. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's too late for, for a guy like me to have, because I don't have those years that you really need to let that thing grow and the compound interest, compound effect. exponential growth. It, it doesn't happen when you've only got a few years left. So I'm grateful that I did what I did when I did, but, but for young men starting off, my advice to all young men, even if they're in their teens, even if they're still maybe not done with high school is to start learning to be a saver for the future. Would you agree with that? Well, not only just a saver, but a saver and an investor. Yeah. Okay. And so what's really nice in today's world, back when you and I were young, you couldn't buy half a share of stock. Today, you can buy a partial share of stock. So, you know, maybe Apple, I don't know what it sells for, but let's say it's $350 a share. You know, you might not have $350, but if you have $100, you can buy a third of a share. And now the next time you get a paycheck, put $100 or $50 towards it, whatever you can build an investment account slowly but surely. Mm -hmm. And uh, that $100, well, to, to give you an example, when Apple first came out, I used the second the, the second ever iMac or Macintosh that they made, not iMac, it was yeah, a Macintosh. Right. And at the time, their stock was selling for about $10 a share. And I was, you know, we had children and I was just trying to, no, we didn't have children at that point, but I was starting my business and I just didn't have extra cash that I could throw towards investments. But I look at it now and say, you know, had I taken maybe $10 a month and bought 
some shares of stock or $100 a month and bought yeah. some shares of stock, that stock today would probably be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what happens, and people don't realize that these great amounts of building wealth happens over time, and that's what a lot of young people don't, because they're only living hand-to-mouth at that point. They're just right. trying to, you know, they spend everything they've got, and that's something that an entrepreneur cannot do. You've got to not overspend. You've got to not overinvest of your retirement accounts, etc. And you've got to stay in this thing uh, that that keeps them going up as opposed to that downward spiral. Yeah, I think one of the things, again, we're talking about how to counter inflation by starting your own business or, you know, and again, it does, again, it doesn't have to be a full-time business. You can still work your job and do something maybe in the evenings or the weekends, uh, which is a great way to test the market. Uh, but the idea then is um, a big mistake that entrepreneurs make is they forget to value themselves. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. you know, they look at how am I going to, what am I going to charge for this? Well, it cost me $10 to make it. Therefore, I'm going to charge $10, uh, $20 or something like that or, or $15, but they forget to add in their time that it took to make or to create or to market and to do all of the things that are around the business. So they underprice their products. Now there's, they'll say, well, the competition's underpricing. You say, yeah, but you know, the truth is, is you know, like you take a market like Etsy, which is all handcrafted stuff. Right. Uh, Popular site. Don't be embarrassed to put something up on Etsy that you, you know, maybe you make a great, uh, you're a great woodworker or you're great at painting and uh, you know, go out and paint or you're a great photographer. Go out and post your photography out there. Uh, there's some things that can be done that uh, don't require much more than maybe a, a smartphone. You can do a, You can run a business off a smartphone these days. Not only can you run a business, I mean, you f you think about it, I've heard that we have more technology in those smartphones than what NASA had and all the computers they had when they landed a man on the moon. Can you imagine that? Yeah, we can land a man on the moon, but uh, with our phones these days. Is that, it's a, of course, <laughs> it's a GPS, it's a GPS satellite, I guess it would work. Yeah, I don't that know is that really creepy to think about how that GPS knows exactly where you are at all times of the day. I mean, that is really crazy. Yeah. Kevin McCarthy is my guest. We're going to continue this discussion in our third segment. And uh, Kevin has some great resources, a book that we'll be talking about that will uh, help entrepreneurs and might be just what you're looking for. Uh, this is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. If you've considered the natural beauty of a wood floor, then go with a winner. Ability Wood Flooring has been a trusted source and family-owned and operated since 1950. Ability Wood Flooring is voted best of the best and are featured on A&E's Zombie House Flipping. Ability proudly works with Florida's top builders, winning many awards in the Parade of Homes. Get a free design consultation today. AbilityWoodFlooring.com I always enjoy our visits with Kevin McCarthy, the On Purpose guy. OnPurpose.me, he has this uh, website where you can really understand not only what your purpose is, but really what direction you should go with your purpose and how to apply all of that. That's what he can help you do. We were talking about the impact in our last segment, the impact that uh, this whole time frame uh, we found it very quickly. We went south at record speed. <laughs> I mean, we went from a, what felt like a good economy, strong economy, for the first time being inter energy independent. And now we're begging Saudi Arabia for oil. And I heard last night, Kevin, uh, something that is most troubling, that Australia, this is what I heard. Uh, I have not corroborated this story. I have not checked it all out. But there are there's talk that banks in Australia will no longer be uh, giving loans for gas-powered automobiles. Wow, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's that's uh, if that's the case, and that becomes a trend, then obviously that's going to. I, I hate to use a pun, but to add fuel to the fire. I mean, it's our our battery acid to the fire. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what that's going to do. 
But, you know, we, we've heard and we know, and I believe this is true, that America does not have the technology in place yet. Um, we don't have the resources available for every American to be driving a Tesla or a Prius that has to be charged or or I guess it's not a Prius. It does, runs on some gas, too. So that's a that's more yeah, of a hybrid. hybrid yeah. yeah. But these cars that are purely, uh, you know, running on electricity, uh, I just don't see this coming any as quickly as they're acting like it is. Well, I think the thing that's ironic is we're we're trading one precious resource for another, which is we're trading fossil fuels for battery um uh, minerals, minerals that are, and those mineral, we have fossil fuel in the United States. China has the fossil, has the minerals necessary for batteries. Isn't that something? We're again, putting ourselves right under their, their hand. Yeah. And, and that's what's so sad. So for people to make it in business in this day and culture, there's going to have to be some pivots, right? Correct. These tough shifts are coming and that's why I was saying, as we were talking about earlier, the idea of uh, p- pivoting towards personal responsibility and maybe uh, finding a way to create additional income to cover the gap in your finances and how to be successful in launching a business um, in that regard. Now, you have a book that uh, is out, and you have a lot of books that are out, but one of them deals with this whole thing about leading the way through this kind of a, of a time. Yeah, I think the the book that I'm, I wrote is called Chief Leadership Officer. Now, the book is not necessarily specifically targeted towards uh, the startup entrepreneur, except for the fact that what I'm really saying in the book is if you look at, if you fall into the trap of the traditional CEO system of business, you're building an archaic business right from the bat. Now, let me let me explain That's that. That's a big statement. Yeah. And a lot of CEOs who might be listening are going like, huh? Right. What? So, you know, again, the book was written primarily for the person in the C-suite who's, who's running a, a, a good-sized company. But it's also designed for startup business owners. So I do a fair amount of speaking in business classes in colleges for students who are looking at this because... What they talk about is social entrepreneurship, and it's sort of an ironic term to me because it's it's fashionable today. The truth is, if you go back before the Industrial Revolution, all enterprises were social enterprises. They were mm-hmm. there. They were family businesses. Yeah, they sure. were there to make the community better. And what happened is, during the Industrial Revolution, we lost our way, which was it was all about making money. So it was profit, profit, profit where with a, that's the CEO system. The CLO or the chief leadership officer system looks at it and says, first we look at purpose, then we look at people, yeah. then we look at profit. So profit is important. Don't get me wrong. I'm a, I'm a capitalist. I believe in the profit. I believe in what capitalism does to uh, create wealth, which is well-being for the society, for the co- you're serving the common good. All of these are important concepts that are, very much a part of the American experience and the exceptionalism of America. Uh, and, and so as a result, if, if you start your business today and you're thinking in terms of what we were talking about, compound interest, but if you think about the compounding effect of the culture that you're creating in your business, if you build it off of, well, a good biblical expression would be um, you don't put new wine in an old skin. Mm-hmm, right. And so if you're starting a new business, don't put it into the old skin of the CEO system because it, it basically steals the soul of human beings. It's, it's, I, I don't want to go so far as to say it's unchristian, but if you think about it, it has really put the altar of profit for, first and foremost. Yeah. And so it's asking people to sacrifice their lives at the altar of the corporate profit. And that's just unbiblical. Right. You know, when you think about money and mammon in the Bible, as it, it would be called, you can't serve God and that too. I mean, that's very clear. So that is a perfect example of what you're talking about in the CLO model, is that purpose and right value is kept in mind 
it's not thrown out the door at the expense of the almighty dollar and profit, profit, profit. Right. So the first thing I would say to an entrepreneur is clarify your two-word purpose for your life. Then integrate that into the business that you're going to create. Then look at it and say, look, between my purpose and profit lives people. And those are the people that I'm going to hire that may work with me. Those are the people that are my customers. And if I don't get people right, why should I profit? So one of the differences I make is that CEO system is about profit taking. The CLO system is about profit making. And so I have this expression that says, sort of a beatitude, blessed are the profit makers for they shall enrich the earth. Wow. Wow. And, that's quite a picture. And that's what we're that's what we're called to be about as Christians and particularly Christians yeah. in business is how are we to enrich the earth? And so the idea is that, you know, wealth is a word that is really misunderstood. Most people think of wealth as money in their pockets or their savings account or their portfolio, investment portfolio. The word wealth, actually the first three, the first four uh, letters in wealth are W-E-A-L. And that's pronounced wheel. And wheel is an art, it's an old expression, but wheel is better understood as well-being. Hmm. So wealth is the state of well-being, of which finances are but one of it. Health, family, yeah, sure. spiritual, yeah. all of these aspects are the more robust understanding of wealth. So the idea here is that if you are in a business and if you're thinking in terms of how am I increasing wealth, well-being, that means that I need to be able to integrate my work and my family, my health and my work. All these aspects that are relevant, you can't just compartmentalize, which is what we've been taught, you know, our mm -hmm. generation has been taught for years, compartmentalize. And of course, it's compartmentalization, which allows people to do to create unethical acts at work because there is no controlling morality. Yeah, I, I see it every day uh, in the news and you hear it on podcasts and people that that are are kind of analyzing what's going on. And it's very clear that there is an effort. It is a, it a, uh, an, an agenda to remove the real maker of morals which is God. Mm -hmm. If you don't have, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't know the Lord, then your ideas and my ideas make up what we have as morals. Right. Uh, we We're might, all in trouble with we, that. We all have a philosophy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there are plenty of philosophers out there, some of which are existentialists, some of which are uh, uh, all of those things. But the difference between Christianity and philosophy is a relationship. Yeah. And so, and, and understanding that our relationship with God should be primary. Correct. And, and so as a result, if you take that out of the equation, you're left with uh, eh, what, everybody, what anybody thinks at any given moment. Yeah. We're all right. But the truth is we know we're not all right. We're all often wrong. <laughs> well, now that's a question that I'd like to ask you. In your speaking on campuses as you do and the business classes and all, do you get the sense that the young people of today that are in college, do they are they buying into the stuff that they're hearing on the news and from this, or is there a, a growing emptiness in them? Sadly, um, well, yes, there is a growing emptiness into them, but I think it's because they're buying into what they're hearing on the news. Uh, I saw, this is maybe five years ago, I saw a report that said that 60% of the undergraduate business school students at segment that was uh, surveyed were believing that socialism was better than capitalism. Oh. Now, their understanding of socialism and what their understanding of capitalism is probably suspect. Yeah, on both sides. On both sides. Yeah. Okay. Um, but what it really says is that they haven't really done the critical thinking or the understanding. And frankly, when I was that age, I probably wasn't doing the critical thinking either. But at some level, I also understood that I wanted to make money, capitalism. So they tend to think that if you don't want to make money, then you're a socialist. If you want to make money, you're a capitalist. But yet, and, and a lot of them are angry because they feel like they're forced to have to make money. 
But the truth is, is money is just a medium of exchange mm -hmm. for creating value. You know, if you ask them, do you want to make a difference? They say, absolutely, I want to make a difference. Well, how are you going to make a difference if you don't add value? And if you're going to add value, you should in many ways be able to profit from that. Mm -hmm. And because what you're really saying is I want to profit people. And these schools are teaching that that's wrong. That's immoral to just want to profit. Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if the schools are teaching that. I, I think it's, it's the culture within the school. I don't know that the business schools are teaching that because I think they're still teaching accounting, finance, marketing. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm talking about yeah. the more liberal side of, mm -hmm. of, of the classes where there's almost like this religion, if you will, of the world, of, huma of, huma of uh, humanism. Yeah, I think this is what, what you're really describing is whenever maybe a business school overreaches its charter. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, any educational institution also has an editorial perspective, for lack of better words. And they're entitled, I guess, to teach whatever they want mm -hmm. to teach in that regard. Right. So I would say be wise about where if your child is going to school you know, look at the difference between a Hillsdale College versus a um, uh, a Vassar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are they going to be teaching? What are what's what's the culture there? Or a Berkeley compared to Hillsdale, or a Wheaton College compared to Berkeley? You know, you just start to look at it and say, what is what is the difference? And it's not just because they're Christian colleges; it's because there's a philosophy of of being in business, being in life uh, that's involved around that. And parents need to realize that that philosophy is quite effective. Right. And so the chief leadership officer is sitting there saying, look, there's a different way of doing business. Just, our, our entire generation, every generation today has grown up in the CEO system. Mm -hmm. It's the only thing we know. So we're fish in water that don't know we're in water. Wow. And I'm trying to take them out of the bowl and saying, look, breathe. You can breathe out of the water. There's a different way of going about mm -hmm. this. And it's called, you know, people would sooner be led than executed because CEOs execute, leaders lead. Mm. So it's really bringing this, this human leadership piece in place so that people are no longer human resources, they're people. They're not human capital, they're people. This is so great. I wish we had more time to continue. We'll have to have you back up and talk more about this. I find it all so personally interesting. Kevin McCarthy is my guest. And Kevin, how can people get a hold of this book? Well, Chief Leadership Officer is on Amazon. We also have at chiefleadershipofficer.com. They can go and find out about the book there as well as buy it from Amazon straight from the website. And at some point, I'm going to have to have you tabulate how many domains you own. <laughs> but it's a bunch. It is a bunch. <laughs> it is a bunch. And I know exactly how many I own. Okay. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> Kevin McCarthy from onpurpose.me. Thank you for being with me. And friends, as always, thanks for joining us right here on The Shepherd.